You're listening to Healthy Voices Radio, a podcast by health advocates for health advocates. Join us for real conversations on the ways health impacts our lives, featuring guests from the Healthy Voices community and beyond. Co-hosted by Robert Brining, Brady Dale Etzcorn Morris, and Don M. Gibson. This is Healthy Voices Radio. All right. Hello, everyone. I am Brady Dell Etzcorn Morris, and along with my co-hosts, Robert Brining and Don Gibson, would like to welcome you back to Healthy Voices Radio. Healthy Voices Radio is produced and sponsored by Janssen and Johnson & Johnson Medical Devices, the founders of Healthy Voices, a groundbreaking leadership conference created exclusively to empower online health advocates. Before we get start- started, um, a few disclaimers here. If you need medical advice or have questions about your treatment or condition, we urge you to speak with your doctor as we cannot provide any medical advice. Per regulatory guidelines, we are not permitted to discuss any medications or products during the show today. All information shared or later posted about this podcast will be done in a public capacity. For that reason, we will not be sharing any personal or confidential information. We don't want others to know. And for the same reason, we will not share any personal information about another person during today's episode. And last but not least, Jansen has paid Robert, Don, and I to host and produce this podcast. All thoughts expressed here are our own. And with that said, hey, Don and Robert, how are y'all? Hey, Brady. Hey, everyone. Hey, it's great to see everybody. Isn't it? I'm so excited about today. We are getting to talk about shared experiences across health conditions. I can't believe we're already on episode two with Dawn. It feels like yesterday we just started talking about it. I'm excited. And here we are. Here we are already to episode two. Well, yeah, and we've known each other for three years, right? At least that long. So we have a lot lot of territory to cover. (laughs) Right. I wish we could almost like share all of the pre-production stuff with everybody because that is... It's always a riot. If people only know the stuff that went into making uh, the making of an episode. Oh, it's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> it is hilarious. Yeah. Well, guys, Don, Robert, who who we have on today? We have Molly Schreiber, who is an RA and diabetes advocate, and Alexis Newman, who is a diabetes advocate. So let me tell you a little bit about Alexis. I have her bio in front of me. Um, Alexis Newman is a registered dietitian and nutritionist and diabetes advocate, like Dawn said. Uh, She brings 10 plus years of professional experience with working in a variety of uh, diverse environments. Um, She is helping people manage their chronic diseases such as diabetes, prediabetes, high cholesterol, and high blood pressure. And diabetes affects her everyday life in every aspect, interwoven into every meal, snack, dialogue, decision, and relationship. And Molly has been living with type 1 diabetes since June of 1989 and rheumatoid arthritis since January of 2012. She started a blog, um, which is very interesting. You have to go check that out. And then um, you're at the Jacks. You have to explain a little bit of that to me because I noticed that was in your uh, Instagram thing. So it's a little bit... uh, I'm not real familiar with it. So please help me welcome again, uh, Molly and Alexis to the show. Thank you guys for joining us. We're super excited to have you here. Um, So first, let's just start off with a simple question. Uh, We'll start with you, Molly. What um, really got you involved in wanting to become a patient advocate? Well, um, I grew up in a family of type 1 diabetes. My dad had a grandfather. So when I got it as a kid, it wasn't a shock to me. Um, But when I got rheumatoid arthritis in my early 30s, 
um, I kind of thought diabetes was my one thing and like everyone gets their one thing and then, you know, you're good. And I got this, this diagnosis. And when I went online, I tried to find people that had both diseases because the treatments and, and medications that you take and for RA affect your blood sugars as a diabetic, but also just pain, stress, things like that. And I found Rick Phillips, which a lot of you are probably familiar with. Um, Rick is my, I always give him a shout out because he always gives me a shout out. It's like a understanding. Um, and he kind of opened me up to sharing my story. And that's really what it was. I started kind of just sharing to let friends and family kind of understand how I was doing. And then, um, found more people in the wild, as we like to say, in the diabetes community and in the chronic illness community. You know, if you see a test strip in a parking lot, you're like, one of us is out here, you know? And um, I started to find more and more people that had both diseases or multiple diseases. And that just sharing my story is really what I, what I did, which I think a lot of us kind of started that way. What about you, Alexis? Yeah, so um, I ha was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 18 months old, so I'll be celebrating 36 years. And growing up, there wasn't many kids around me who had diabetes. And then fast forward to about, I guess, eight years ago, I started doing CrossFit and powerlifting. And at the time, I didn't know any type 1 diabetics who also they were doing that. So I started really advocating, taking pictures, videos of me and my devices and test strips all over the gym and just really started advocating that like I'm strong and I have type one. Um, so that's really where it began for me. So let me also pass that question over to you, Dawn. Um, what made you get involved in being a patient advocate? Oh, I got involved because there wasn't representation of black women in uh, spondyloarthritis. And then when I became a dementia caregiver, I started uh, seeing that there were a lot of gaps in helping people get started with what they needed to do to help their elders. Brady, how about you, man? Yeah, I got started really because there were things going on locally, um, provider-wise in the HIV community that I was unhappy with. And I'm like, was wanting to make change and how do I do this and found out, you know, I could actually be sitting at the table and helping make these, those decisions. And that's why I got involved and how I got involved. It's all interesting. And how about you, Robert? How did you? For, for me, it was, I, I kind of wanted to educate myself, but I wanted to educate those around me, whether it was family or friends or coworkers, I wanted to have the information to know what I was talking about when disinformation was given to me. Um, so I just, again, just wanted to meet other people like me. I didn't know other people like me, you know, living yeah. with HIV. I wanted that interaction. I wanted to know it was going to be okay. I didn't want the medical talk, the medicine, the, you know what I mean? The side effects. I wanted to know that I was going to be able to breathe tomorrow and be okay. Right. right? Yeah. Similar to Dawn, I'm, there's not many African-American um, with type one. And so that's another reason I started, especially more recently, just kind of talking out more and just because they're weren't really many African-Americans with type one. So I'm with you, Dawn, similar. Yep. And we love it. Can, um, can y'all tell us what, I mean, this whole, because you are um, a social media health advocate is what, is what kind of um, got you to Healthy Voices. How did you, what led you to Healthy Voices? How did y'all find out about it? And, and what's kind of been like your Healthy Voices experience so far been like? 
Yeah, so I found out it through um, a group that I'm a part of. One of um, a couple par previous participants are like encouraged us to um, apply and see if we could get chosen to be a part of it. And it's been a really cool experience being connected to so many different people. So I've enjoyed it. Molly? And, um, yeah, I um, was part of a RA group um, back in 2016. Um, was the first time I attended Healthy Voices. Um, came back the next year and I had the privilege of being um, an advisor for the 2018 session. And um, I think my favorite thing, and I think this, <laughs> this old podcast and radio shows it, is that Healthy Voices brings all of us with different conditions together. Because at the end of the day, we're all fighting the same things. We all don't want anyone to suffer. We all don't want, you know, anyone to not know how to speak to their physician. And I, that I just love that I have friends now that are in almost every disease community that if a patient says to me, I have type one and HIV, I have type one, you know, and psoriasis, I have a person that I, a person that I know that I can say here, Go, go talk to them and share your story and we can connect sort of no patient is, is alone, which is sort of my, my thing. Alexis, uh, how has your advocacy been received online? Um, it's really been received well and I didn't even realize it until I want to say maybe about three years ago, a distant friend really text me i hadn't speaking to spoken to her in a very long time and she was just like hey your posts are very encouraging to me um keep doing what you're doing and advocating and taking care of yourself and i was like oh wait like i thought i was advocating for one particular group of people but it ended up really influencing yeah. other people so um yeah yeah what about i think we want? all have that yeah i was gonna say you kind of forget that like your friends and your neighbors also read your stuff. And at first you're kind of like, oh, wait, you know, like my mom would say something and I'd be like, I didn't tell you that. She's like, well, I've read it. And you'd be like, oh, right. I'm not exclusive to just the public minus, you know, my husband. <laughs> like my husband would be like, you had a bad day. And I'm like, how do you know? He's like, uh, you posted your temperature on Instagram. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> it still happens to me it's all the time. I'm just like, oh, shoot. <laughs> That's hilarious. What about you, Robert? You'll get a text, like, I'll get a text from my mom, like, oh, my goodness, how you, how's my baby doing? I'm like, first of all, I'm 38 years old. Right. Doing? I saw you had a low blood sugar. Are you okay? I'm like, uh -huh. I am. And it's because right. she saw my Facebook or Instagram. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, it's great. <laughs> Guys, I'm, I'm curious, um, since we are Healthy Voices, one question that as health advocates that we get asked a lot, and I'm curious to hear everyone's opinion, what does healthy mm. mean for you? Because mm. we all know like, like healthy can change from day to day or, or by diagnosis. So what does healthy mean for you? I think as a person who is in acceptance of uh, her illness and disability, for me, healthy is living the best life with the body I have and trying to preserve, you know, the function that I have and, and all of that, but also understanding that this is a fluid situation. But the main thing is just to say, there's never a point at which my health 
as long as I'm alive, my health doesn't expire. There's still a way to take care of myself. There's still a way to value myself and to insist on my own value. And to me, that that's the kind of container that, that I want to carry the concept of health in versus avoiding this, avoiding that and categorizing and ranking or any of that stuff. Love it. Alexis, what about you? Um, what comes to mind is mindset, right? So I think, like you said, your condition, our conditions are fluid. Like some days you have good days, some days have bad days. And I think it's really trying to have a mindset of like, I'm doing the best I can with what I got at this very moment and really trying to strive towards that mindset. Of course, some days really are hard and it's really hard to even have that mindset, but really trying to be present in the moment, mindful and self-care in that way. Molly? Yeah, I think very similar to what Don Alexa said. I'm just trying to have more good days and the bad days, more days where my disease doesn't dictate what I can or can't do. So, you know, every day that I work full time and can hit the gym and, you know, maybe make dinner, not to be wild or anything. Um, I, um, call that a win, you know, every day that I don't have, if I have more days that I'm not stopped in my tracks than others, um, I think I'm doing better. And that's also how I, you know, determine if my illness needs tweaking. If I, you know, if I'm having more bad days than good days, rather than just every day, you know, going through the motions, I try to really look and make sure that I'm doing at least something I want to do each day. Brady, what makes you feel healthy? How do you see health? For me, it, it, it changes. Like when I was first diagnosed, um, you know, I, I was told I had AIDS, not just that I was HIV positive, but that I also had AIDS. And so for me, being healthy has changed over my journey of, of living with HIV. Because like as of today, I am now undetectable, which means I can um, my viral load cannot be detected in my blood, um, and that's kind of what I, I guess I, for me now healthy. I just base it on my labs <laughs> that come from come from the doctor, um, and I don't and I don't ever try to let like my like my day even if I'm if I'm having a bad day or and and my illnesses are, are creeping up and it's making me want to lag. I don't let I try not to let that affect or get in my head. Like you said, it's all about a, a mental, the way you, you perceive it and the way you react to it. I think what you just said was so important because I think for everyone listening, how you define healthy is so individual. Like I get messages sometimes like, I can't believe you go to the gym with RA. And I'm like, there's some days I just go on the bike as slow as you can be. There's other days that I can, you know, do strength training. I mean, don't, like, I can't compare myself to you, Brady. Our labs are different. Like, that's black and white, you know? But I really feel like people need to define what healthy is to them personally within their family life, their work life, everything. I think that's so important. Instead of comparing and contrasting, just do it for yourself. Right. And what I just love about what we just talked about here is that, you know, we hear everyone saying, like, we're working to be healthy, but being healthy is different. There's not a set definition of what healthy is. And we, we need to work really hard not to put others in boxes, you know, that we have, of what we think with their condition, what healthy should be. Um, and it's, it's very important to keep that open-mindedness with, with that. Um, with that said, with along with being healthy, we know that a lot of health conditions are kind of hidden 
um, from the public view. Um, but diabetes is one that comes with some of its own stigmas and, and things that you encounter. Um, Alexis, what, what are some things that you have experienced um, out the, you know, either from friends, family, or even strangers when it comes to your condition? Um, that I don't look like I have diabetes. I didn't know diabetes had a look, but apparently I don't look it. Um, what else? Uh, oh, you can't eat that. Why, why, oh, you're eating cake? I thought you couldn't have that. Um, one of the memories that come to mind is, this is what my mom told me when I was younger, she came to pick me up from daycare and I was inside with one of the teachers and everyone else was playing. And my mom was like, oh, wait a second, what is happening? Why is she inside and everyone else is outside? And so they perceived that I couldn't go outside and play because I had diabetes. And that kind of really laid the foundation on how I viewed my um, having diabetes is like, no, I can do anything and everything. I might just have to do a little bit more to be able to do it, but I can, there's nothing limit. So that's kind of how I, you know, live. Molly, what, what have you experienced? Yeah, very similar. Um, I mean, even as recent as in the last weeks, I've had family say at a wedding, oh, you know, I heard they're having really good, you know, dessert. Too bad you can't have it. And I always do, well, my pancreas is in my pocket. So, you know, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's something that even if you try to hide it, and I, I went through years of that, you know, especially as a teenager and, and then, you know, younger school, it gets noticed. So the sooner you realize that you're going to make a choice between, you know, passing out or asking for juice, you're going to ask for the juice, you're passing out's more embarrassing. I've literally <laughs> had those moments. I'm sure you have too, Alexis, <laughs> yeah. yeah, where you're like, I don't want to cause a scene, but me passing out might cause a little more of a scene than me sneaking these fruit snacks in the gym. Um, so I think you kind of get an awakening with diabetes where it is noticeable. And I think that honestly was my contrast with RA was that no one can see it unless you're hobbling down the street with a cane. No one has, and I see Don nodding. No one has any idea that you have it. You don't have a device. And I, I wanted to actually show off my pump because I was like, this is proof of the one thing I have. You know, like yeah. you don't have that that equipment. You don't have anything unless something's really wrong. Yeah. I'm glad y'all brought that, thing, especially the eating thing. That uh, I don't know why, but it seems like within the United States, especially that as soon as you were told that you're diabetic, everyone just seems to think that that means, oh, that person can't have any sugar, like no, no sugar at all for this person. And it gets so tiring when you're just sitting and enjoying a cookie and it's like, Brenda looks over, I thought you were diabetic. Why are you eating that cookie? <laughs> and it's just like, it's like, I but know. That if you have bread and that's a carb too, I feel like everyone right. should know carbs are everywhere. <laughs> right, right. The fruit you're eating, it's a carb. Like. Right, it's sugar, just like the fruit snacks. I might mm -hmm. pop to bring my blood sugar up. Yeah, I, I really, I feel like Alexis, you like just, you probably say it to your blue in the face. Just right, like, right. Sugar everywhere. And it also seems too like in the diabetic community that the other part of the diabetic community, people who make too much and are like need more sugar actually um that's yeah there's anyway. not one type there's right you exactly know, you, exactly everyone thinks. Diabetes, you can have hypoglycemia where you constantly need sugar i mean there's so 
it's exactly what you're saying is you just, you don't know what someone's going through. And so many people aren't sitting here speaking on this podcast that, you know, walk by you all the time and you have no clue, you know, what they're dealing with. I think that's what Healthy Voices has done. It kind of opens your eyes to really see that looking at someone, you have no clue what, what's going on. Exactly. That's good. Yeah. Completely true. And especially in, yeah. in, in 2020, how this has changed the way we, we advocate online and, and kind of everything that we're going through. But before we kind of get into the 2020 and how maybe that transitioned your um, activism or maybe shifted it in some way, I kind of wanted to do a little thing where we break down the, the seriousness and, and just share something. Um, I asked everybody to bring your favorite mug um, and just kind of just share a little bit about your mug and why it's your favorite mug. So I, I want to start with you, Alexis. Here's my mug. I love it. So um, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I would close my eyes and see yellow. I don't know why it's weird. And then, <laughs> <laughs> so for my baby shower, I told my family, I was like, I want yellow. I want yellow. Um, and so they decided to have a bee um, themed baby shower. So my little honeycomb bee mug is my absolute favorite. So, and that's why my glasses are yellow and orange too. I don't know if you can yeah. see, but you can. And she's bright. I mean, y'all saw her last night. She is a bright personality. So <laughs> she takes after you. What about oh, yeah. you, Molly? <laughs> Oh, I am. So mine mug is my minion, my year one in a minion. Um, I, I'm 40 years old, guys. I'll be 41 in November. And I love the minions. Probably if you follow me, you know this. Um, people send me minion stuff. I've come to Healthy Voices. People have brought me gifts that I love them so much. Um, they just make me laugh. Like I just, it's silly. It's stupid, but I love them more than my kids do. Um, they're my favorite. They make me happy. It's that simple. <laughs> <laughs> Simplicity. It's easy, right? Yeah. Dawn, how about you? Show us your awesome mug. This is Vixen and uh, my chosen sister, Denise, uh, gave me Vixen at a difficult time in my life, you'll notice that the handle is big enough to hold um, with stiff and sore hands, but it is not an ugly mug suitable for ladies of a certain age. So I just, I, I love to show Vixen uh, whenever I'm on uh, camera these days. So she knows how much I love her. It's awesome. Is that, uh, that is awesome. That is awesome. awesome. For me, my husband and I, we're both in recovery and living in recovery. And I have got the serenity prayer on my coffee mug. It's oh. the way we start off our day being grateful. So what about you, Robert? Well, you know, I had to. <laughs> I had to. If you know me or follow me anywhere on Instagram, Facebook, you know I love He-Man. I'm a big fan. So um, I have my He-Man mug. Tells everybody I have the power. You can sit here and over here, we got some other ones over here. So it's filled with coffee. If you did some sort of research, I probably have the birthstone of a coffee bean. It always has coffee. I'm a coffee junkie. So, you know, it's, it's just my favorite mug. It reminds me of being a kid. It takes me back every time I, I have a little sip of life out of it. Oh, that's sweet. So uh, we were talking about before the shift. So thank you all for bringing your mugs. I love them all. They're, they're amazing. Um, 
uh, about the shift in 2020, how kind of COVID put us in a, in a different world. Um, Molly, has any of your activism shifted at all or changed, or can you kind of speak to kind of how maybe COVID affected that for you? Um, so for me, I've always sort of shared sort of day-to-day -day stuff online. Um, I try to share good, bad all day um, on Instagram, just to sort of give an insight to the picture. So that didn't really shift for me, but um, connection. So there's something about being in person and conversations. And I think we all tried really hard with Zoom in the beginning with, you know, um, a lot of fellow advocates and I would have, you know, Zoom meetings. And I think the more a lot of our work shifted into Zoom, maybe there was a little Zoom fatigue. <laughs> you know, So in the beginning, it was a lot you know easier to get together. And that's kind of trailed off a bit for me. And I think when it started, it was sort of like, why aren't we doing this all the time, you know, most of us live all over the place. We're not near each other. Um, and it kind of went away. And I think maybe it's just, you know, there's a lot going on. It's stressful with everything, but um, it'd be good to bring that back. I think Healthy Voices is doing a good job of getting us together, kind of putting dates on the calendar. And I think we could all maybe do a little bit more of that too. Awesome. And how about for you, Alexis? Has the shift did anything for you? Um, I feel like um, I know a couple of us got into a couple of group chats, so we've kind of been chatting more, checking in more in that way. Um, but other than that, I just continue to post about um, daily life. It actually slowed down a little bit because um, at the start of COVID, I transitioned from working full-time in an office to full-time home with a crazy toddler. And then we moved around that time. So things kind of got really crazy. And so um, more recently, I started posting a little bit more consistently. Yeah. One of the things that I saw, Alexis, on your um, Instagram uh, is that you, you posted some videos and you say every day you start your day with prayer. Uh, was it 30 to 45 minute walk? Yes. Uh, and yoga. Um, is, is yoga something that uh, helps, you know, start your day off in the right way, I guess? Yes, yes, yes. So um, I am in a program to become a yoga instructor. And so I'm working on that. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, well, if I'm going to be an instructor, I actually have to practice. So I've been in the program since about June. And so I've been practicing more consistently. But it really does help get my mindset right along with the prayer and the walking it really just helps me have an easy day because my daughter wakes up on 10 and i need to get my mind right <laughs> and then of course the rest of the work day so yeah i love it it's really helpful molly are there any tips that you do in the morning to get your day going so um for me i like alexis i was working um I work full time for a pediatric hospital and it was already working for him a day or two a week, but now I've, you know, I've been here since March. Um, and my day starts at seven. So I initially would hop out of bed and get right on zoom and ready to go. And that's not healthy. I don't know if any of you did that. That's really not a good way to start your day. So I try to, you know, have a little space between home and work you know you, you don't have that commute anymore and that that to me I realized I really needed that time um mm -hmm. by myself to either have music or pot whatever I was doing before I had a set 
45 minutes to an hour to kind of get ready. And I failed at that in the beginning. I didn't realize how important that was. I thought, great, I don't have a commute is sort of how I viewed things and quickly learned that I need that before and after space to myself because there's no other way to get that when you're home all day with kids and <laughs> everything. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you keep an open mind about um, patient care? And I mean, when we're talking about kind of like hard questions or um, just when things are going poorly, what helps you? So do you mean making like space for yourself to answer those questions or um, uh, sure, or emotional energy into that sort of? Sure. Yeah. So you do. Um, I think a lot of advocates get a lot of messages. You get a lot of questions. You get a lot of um, what disease do you think I have with these symptoms? Um, why does that medicine work for you? A lot of these questions. And um I think when I was first starting out in advocacy, I tried to answer all of them and or point them in a direction. And it's exhausting, to be completely honest. I think the very best thing you can do is not answer all those questions and even put up an automatic message on even your if you have a Facebook page saying, I appreciate your question, but I'm still a person. Um, I'm not, you know, this isn't my job. And um, because a lot of the questions you don't normally hear the good things you usually get questions and stories where people are struggling and they're turning to you because you're a public figure um so i think the important thing is just saying you know i really can't help you with this but here's where i can point you or here you know here's a good um site to get started or here's what you you know who you can talk to but even that sometimes there's nothing wrong with letting it sit there there's nothing wrong with not getting back to someone right away because that's, you know, but I think you have to set up that expectation for yourself and for people that follow you. It's interesting the, the way that you've, um, uh, the way that you've answered, because I think a lot of times we get into the advocacy space with a single minded determination to help as many people as possible. And we might think of that help in terms of deliverables, let's say and delivering as much content, delivering as much interaction, delivering as much access to ourselves as possible. And um, I, I think everybody here knows that that could probably be very dangerous for our mood. It, it, it could be dangerous in, in a lot of ways. Alexis, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, especially recently, I've been connecting them with groups that I'm a part of, like, hey, check out this group. Um, if I can answer the question quickly, I try to. Um, so that's kind of how I've been going at it. But I'm with you. It's like you can't answer every question because it can be very overwhelming, especially in light of all the other things that are happening. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been doing recently. So I'm curious, what like we, when we were discussing in pre-production, we were, we were trying to talk about like what kind of microaggressions that other of you have encountered um, while trying to navigate your healthcare experience. And um, Alexis, I found it very interesting. You said it wasn't so much that you have experienced them, but you talked about how um, you, 
noticed it in, with clients working with other providers. Right. Can you talk more about that? Because I found that that was a very fascinating conversation to me. Right. I found just, you know, I've been a dietitian for over 10 years and different settings. Um, I find that some providers assume that the patient isn't interested in getting more information or um, they may not have time. And so they don't really kind of dig deep and trying to connect them to the right people. Um, So, yeah, I've just been trying to, you know, be open-minded and have a space to listen because other times I've also realized that because doctors in themselves, they don't really have time to sit and listen. I kind of end up being that ear for them to kind of help them. And while they're trying to figure out the emotions about whatever diagnosis they have and then connect them to who they need to be connected to. And I found it fascinating, like talking about, and I didn't even think about this myself, but like if a doctor gets back some labs and they see the numbers are are low, um, a lot of times it's automatically, well, that person's being non-compliant. Correct. Yeah. Instead of, instead of digging in and asking the questions, you know, you know, why, you know, what's going on, what's changed in your home life or exactly. Or, instead of really drilling down and, and getting to the real issue, instead of just assuming that because, you know, our numbers look this way that we must be doing this exactly. um, and realizing that, that um, correlation isn't always causation. Exactly. No, that's so, that's so true. I know when I was younger, I would get more of that of like, what are you doing wrong? You know, kind of thing. Of course I was younger. I was probably doing a lot wrong, but still they never asked, like, (laughs) they never asked like, okay, how are you feeling? Like, what's your stress? How's school? How's, you know, how are your sports? Like they don't, like they didn't dig deep. I feel like now that I'm older, especially my care team now is fabulous. Like, I love my endocrinologist and my diabetes educator. They're so helpful. Um, But I know in the past that wasn't always true. And I think the difference is that um, I just feel like they're invested in me as a person. Like I had an appointment with my endo yesterday and he's talking to me about mindfulness and how I need to look into meditation and like, you know, really how stress can affect blood sugars, which I know, but like, it was really nice of him to kind of sit there and talk to me about these things. And not all practitioners are like that. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you, Alexis. When I was growing up with type one, I mean, yes, technology was way different. You know, logbook. I had a a great endo when I was a kid who said, you know, you need to use more odd numbers when you make up your blood sugars in your logbook. And I was like, (laughs) because that's what we were measured on. We were only measured on numbers. That was it. And you were measured on a number that was three months old. Um, that showed how you did the past three months. It didn't show how you were, and we still are. I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, are, are judged on that single number, but that number show, doesn't show that you've been super low and super high and you meet in the middle. It doesn't account for everything that happened in there. But I, I do remember that. I remember my dad taking me to appointments. He'd smell my breath because if you have fruity breath, you have a higher blood sugar. Well, like now I would just know what my blood sugar is, but I, I'll never forget being asked to incorporate more odd numbers. And I, I definitely remember like on my way to the, yep. <laughs> to the appointment, like hurry up, writing in the numbers, hurry up. Like, uh, that's, yeah. uh that's funny. That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so I'm curious during this COVID time, um, how have you both, um, been able to find more allies 
Hmm. I think people does, are more does, online. Oh, I'm sorry. And then what does also allyship mean to you? Yeah, I think there's a lot more people, um, first of all, that are online that are using even telemedicine for the first time and are maybe finding things online that they weren't before. Um, and there's also, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for Alexis, but I feel like there's kind of a shift in the diabetes community that regardless of the type that you have, regardless of when you were diagnosed, if you were type one as a child or type one, you know, as 50 years old, that we're all one kind of group. And it's not a, it's a movement that's just slowly trying to not, you know, say, well, you have type two, so you don't understand you have that there's some, there's sort of an effort to kind of meld everything. And that had been before, but I think with more people being attentive online and maybe more people being involved online, it seems to have more of a motion this past like spring and summer where I, I've at least noticed it more people talking about it and also coming together to just sort of deal with the lack of insulin availability and prices. And I won't get into that, but just that um, sort of a common goal that we all want to have access to care, um, regardless of what type you have. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel, I feel that strongly, like within the diabetes community, um, the reality is, is that if you have a high blood sugar, you feel like crap, regardless of if you're type two or type one, you know, if you have a low, you can't speak or like, you can't function. Like it doesn't matter what type of um, diabetes you have. So it's really, um, I've noticed that a lot that, especially in my posts, I've been more intentional to include all because there's so many commonalities compared to, to differences, so. Yeah, that's a really good point. I've, I've had to be more intentional as well. I think I was just sort of, especially with having RA, I don't normally just say I have arthritis. I'm pretty specific just because it is very different than the other types. Um, but with diabetes, again, suffering, suffering, you know, if it doesn't matter what caused it, you know, it's kind of goes back to if you have a family or friend that says, I don't want to complain to you. Uh, you know what pain is. I don't want to tell you it. But I think we all have the goal that I've always said this pain is pain and suffering is suffering. And at the end of the day, I don't want anyone feeling any unnecessary suffering and the why and the behind it doesn't matter. I know that uh, we all have uh, had different effects of um, our, our different interactions between our health and our relationships. And I'm wondering how uh, having type one diabetes has impacted your relationships, not only um, your family, but your friends and coworkers. Alexis? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so I've been at my current job for maybe two years, coming on three. And um, half the time they were like, girl, I don't even realize you have diabetes. Or we used to have a coworker here and she used to be passing out all over the place and she never <laughs> tested her blood sugar. Like, girl, you're good. So, um, <laughs> So, you know, like they, they care, like if I'm saying I'm having a hard time, they'll be quick to jump in and do stuff for me. Like if I have to see a client, they'll jump in and see the client for me. It's, and they ask questions um, and they're just helpful. Um, in terms of my, my husband is amazing support. Um, Octavius, he's awesome. Um, I know it was a, a huge learning curve initially 
uh, with learning symptoms and like figuring out like moods. Cause I'm usually pretty easygoing when I'm have a high blood pressure. I'm, I mean, high blood sugar. I'm a little, little nippy. <laughs> so like realizing that, um, but he's so supportive and he's always been like, he gets upset if I don't wake him up, if I have a low blood sugar kind of thing. Um, my best girlfriends, they, they just know, like if I'm in a weird mood, they just leave me alone until I come out of it, you know, and they don't take it personal. Um, so, and then like, it's interesting because my friends who are closer to me, they just know it's part of my life, right? Whereas some of my friends that are newer, if I say, oh, I'm having a bad day, you know, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, it's more of like a empathy, which it feels weird because I'm not used to that. It's not bad, but it's just like my older friends are like, okay, you, you know what it, like, we know what's happening. My other friends are kind of more, a little more empathetic, but still very helpful and very supportive. So yeah, it's interesting. Ollie? Yeah, I agree. It is. It, it, when you hear people that you don't know as well and they say, I'm sorry, you kind of don't know what to say. It is a little like you thank you. Like it's, I don't know, but um, yeah, my husband, I've been together for 20 years and I mean, he found out about my diabetes cause we pulled up to get food and he had no idea. We were just dating and I pulled out my needle, and my insulin and said, Oh, do needles bother you? And he's in the car. So he got a quick, uh, quick, learning, um, you know, quick adjustment to diabetes, but I think, um, it, it's helped me professionally too. I work, like I said, for a pediatric hospital, but I don't work with endocrine, but because they know I have type one, they'll often ask me to come talk to a patient, get a kid or their parent, or just to show that, you know, I'm still okay. 30 years later, you know, I, I think that's a big thing for them. Um, but I think my favorite thing is how my kids have adjusted that my daughter and my son, my, I mean, they're older. My son is 19, my daughter's 17, but in school, they would see a kid with an insulin pump and say, Hey, my mom has that too. And that kid instantly felt understood. And like, they didn't have to explain anything. And I think that to me is the most valuable thing that I've put to really empathetic little people into the world. I think that's been, um, probably the biggest blessing of this. You know, with um, everything that's been going on in 2020 and COVID, we, we kind of have, you know, changed things and, and shifted like we spoke earlier. Has your self-care regimen at all changed at all um, with things going on? Because, you know, mentally with, with being secluded in your house for a while, being locked down with people, quarantined yeah. or whatever, it really affects you mentally. So self-care is something that's really important for those who our health advocates, because a lot of the time, especially if you're new, you, you like we said, we get bombarded with questions. People want our attention everywhere, but we need to take time to kind of fill our own cups up instead of pouring into everyone else's cup. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, Molly, what, you, you know, your self-care is like now? Yeah, I mean, I honestly struggled in the spring. The gym's closed, and to me, um, I would go to the gym every day. It helps my blood sugars. It helps my RA, keeps my joints moving. It was personal time with my headphones in. Um, and I just couldn't replicate that. We would go for walks and it just wasn't the same. Um, so I really struggled. I also struggled with, mm -hmm. like I mentioned, I work at home. So there was no break. I would, you know, you do laundry in between calls and 
start dinner, the second work's done. And I had to kind of, I mean, there were tears. There were just, I was a mess. Um, and I kind of had to say, sometimes I would go up and lay in bed and pull the comfort over my head just so I heard and saw nothing. I just needed to just nothing. But um, going through that, I now realize that I need to put up some barriers. You know, I need to make exercise a priority. I need to make being alone a priority, which is kind of hard in a house full of people. And when your job is in that house and everything is there, but um I really needed to put up, you know, you really need to decide what is it that kind of makes you feel centered. And for me, that was, you know, yoga people in my house don't bother me when I do that. So I learned I can, you know, if I put my other than the cat, of course, but if I, you know, put my mat out, that's my time. Um, and I really would just encourage people to, to try to figure out what it was. And for me, it was activity. That was just something getting yeah. sweaty, just, really is good for your mind. And I didn't have that for a month or two. And I, I was a mess. And I know that I'm now more myself because I brought that back in. And how about for you, Alexis, how's your self-care been, I guess, remolded? Remolded. Yeah. So pre-COVID, I was going um, every other week to get acupuncture. I was um, uh, going to local coffee shops because I also really love, love coffee. And so, of course, once COVID shut down, that all shut down. Um, so I really, like, like you, Molly, I was a mess. Um, we were doing multiple happy hours, like work virtual happy hours. Um, but I had to cut that down because, you know, can't <laughs> be drinking wine all day. <laughs> oh, you can't. Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> It was bad. It was like one week I went through, I shouldn't say this, but I went through <laughs> a box of wine in a very short period of time. I was like, hey, where'd it go? I was like, what happened? And then you oh, realize you're the only person. I was literally, like, oh. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. Hey guys, well, um, we're, we're about to, uh, we're about to run out of time. Before we do, um, during this time of uh, a social justice reawakening um going across the country um what can we do as health advocates to kind of help move the needle and 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 help to uh, i guess highlight social or health disparities and and kind of bridge those gaps what are your recommendations yeah i mean i would recommend am amplifying the voices so i've been doing a lot mm -hmm. of reposting of other content making more content of my own that's really specific for african americans especially in light of what's happening um but really trying to elevate other people's voices that have different diagnoses different things going on um mm -hmm. so that my um feed is diversified I agree. I've, I've really tried to amplify, you know, I don't want to say people I don't know, but definitely people I don't know, because that means we're not of the same, we're not following the same things. Um, and at One Healthy Voices, I don't know who said it, um, but I've always remembered that it may have been even during like Rhonda and our self-care was to follow someone that you don't completely identify with. You don't have to follow someone that's negative or that's inappropriate, but follow someone you don't necessarily agree with on everything. And it really kind of opens your mind up to that. 
you still have to get along, you know, you still have to be nice, you still have to agree to disagree. And it's been helpful for me to see the world through other people's eyes instead of just staying in my lane. Um, so if someone is posting something and I'm like, oh, I don't agree with that, but they're respectful and they're just sharing their opinion, I do try to give them a follow and just try to see how they're navigating things because I'm sure that will open my eyes to different ways to deal with things. But it, yeah, be uncomfortable. I think that's what it is for me. Follow someone that isn't me. You know? yeah, that's some great advice. Good I advice. know. I wish I knew who gave it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Robert, Don, um, anything else that y'all have for um, either of our fantastic panelists before we close down today? Uh, yeah. Uh, what is one thing that helps make you feel like yourself? I think laughing, um, finding just something funny out of everything, you know, um, as simple as like putting a KT tape on my joint. I always joke that I'm taping myself back together, that my pancreas fell out of my pocket and my, even my coworkers will go, your pancreas is hanging out of your dress. Like, I'm like, oh, right. Shoot. You know? And so just not being like, oh my God, I have to, you know, be mindful of all this. Just making, trying to have fun. <laughs> yeah. Similar, similar. I like to have lots of fun. I try and like with my daughter, have lots of dance parties mm. and just be silly. Um, for me too, is like going for, like being active, going for walks, um, being out in nature, that really helps me. I've been really into teas. I love tea now. Um, so finding different flavors of teas. So, yeah. I have one more question for you. Um, if you could think back, you know, uh, while you're living with your health condition, what has been the hardest um, thing for you to get through? And then on top of that, what would you recommend or how would you help or, or encourage somebody else who's going through that? I think for me, um, it's being honest with how I'm doing to those closest to me. I don't, I struggled with feeling like a burden, feeling like, you know, they already have to live with it. I don't have to talk about it, you know, um, and that actually is really important to do. Um, people can't read your mind, even if they live in the same house as you. Um, so I would just really encourage people, you can be open. You don't have to, you know, all day talk about how awful you slept last night or whatever. But um, as much as I joke about family members seeing stuff online, I could do a better job of when they say, how are you? Not just responding, fine. And I would encourage other people to, you need to, people can't help you if you don't tell them what's going on. Um, and that's hard sometimes, especially if you don't want to think about how bad you're feeling or what you're going through. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. Um, I think for me, especially recently, um, really trying to not beat yourself up for um, having like recently for me, my A1C was a little bit higher than I wanted it to be, but clearly we're in a pandemic, higher <laughs> stress. Like there's a lot of things on like happening. So I know that mentally, but emotionally, I was really having a hard time with like, man, I'm putting all this hard work in, but I want my numbers to like reflect that. I, was, I really felt some type of way about that. 
So what I had to like consciously do is remind myself that like, I am not my number that like my hard work is not a, like a valued in the number alone. And that there's reasons for why my A1C was up, like stress alone will make your A1C be higher. And really just, I would mm-hmm. encourage other people, especially newer diabetics that, you know, it's really important to not put your value in the number, right? It's just information. And from that information, you can make different choices. So I think that is so spot on for everybody that you're not your lab result. You're not, I mean, I I like you growing up. It was always what's your A1C and that doesn't show the low I had yesterday or the great day I have tomorrow. You know, it it doesn't, but I, I agree. You're, you're not your number. I think that's like, such a good takeaway. Mm-hmm. Such a great you. advice. Hey guys, well, well, um, before we go, um, let's see if there are, if there's any questions from anyone who is watching, um, feel free to ask that in the chat and we will get to those. But while we see if we get any questions, um, Alexis, where can we find you on social media? Yes, you can find me on Instagram at Lady Lex, L-A-D-I-E-L-E-X. Um, and then on Facebook, it's Alexis Newman RD. And, all right. And same to you, Molly. How, where can we find you um, online? Um, so Instagram, it's at, and then it's at, and, A-N-D, then T-H-E-N, your, Y-O-U-R-E-A-T-J-A-X at Jackson. And I told Robert, I would say what that's for. My, I, my maiden name is Jackson. My husband's a big Steven Seagal fan and in his movies, this, every time I tell the story, people are like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> um, and his partner was Jax. And so when we were dating, that's what he called me. And so I meant like, and then you arrive at Jax. It, yeah. And then I'm just at Molly Schreiber on uh, Twitter. Um, real quick, I did have, I wanted to, I can't have this conversation with you, Molly, not have you bring up, um, the hashtag campaign that you started. So can you just tell us a little bit about the hashtag high risk COVID-19 campaign that you started? Yeah, back in the spring, um, everybody, it seems so long ago, but everyone was talking about how um, those that would get COVID and would be very sick or possibly die were just sick people. They were elderly. They were basically disposable is how I felt. And I got exhausted constantly responding to comments. I will go ahead and say, don't do that. Don't, it's a waste (laughs) of your energy. It really is. Um, And I reached out to um, Creaky Joints, another advocacy group and my fellow advocates, including John, and just said, um, it's a Saturday night. Will you put a face to what COVID could affect? And they jumped in and it went, crazy um I guess everyone was just stuck at home on a Saturday night I I mean I I don't know but it was just exploding and so many people contributed but my favorite thing was the people that said I had no idea you're a regular person and could get that sick just by seeing me share my photo and that to me was like okay this I serve my purpose again one less person that's kind of viewing us as disposable and it just I mean it's great. I love seeing people's stories and of all ages, colors, diseases, everything. It was, it was truly amazing. It really was. Um, well, all right, y'all, we don't have any other questions and 
I just want to thank you both, uh, Alexis and Molly, for joining us today. It has been uh, an amazing conversation. I guess, of course, y'all were both so amazing that I guess that's why we had no questions. So <laughs> thank you for that. Um, and with that said, uh, everyone, just be on the lookout for when this podcast um, is, goes live. Be sure and subscribe. You can find us, um, Healthy Voices, on Twitter and Instagram. And with that said, thanks, everyone. And we will see you all soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Come on, let's go.